Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Stones and Bones. In this final podcast for Copperlight Week, I'll be going over a general overview of Copperlight and then sum up Copperlight Week. For the general overview of today's podcast, I'll be going just over the general knowledge of Copperlight and the parts of Copperlight that we haven't discussed yet. First of all, Copperlight was first, I guess, observed or noticed in 1824 by a fossil hunter called Mary Anning on Dorset's coastline. She noticed that there are some parts in the abdominal region of a certain fossil skeleton that when cut open, there sometimes fossilized fish bones and scales, along with other smaller bones. It was those observations by Anning that helped geologist William Buckland figure out that that fossil that Anning was observing was actually fossil feces. Buckland named these feces coprolite and kind of officially discovered it in 1829, five years later after Anning's observations. Buckland also figured out that the spiral coprolite was from sharks because it matched the intestines of modern sharks, at least in 1829. And he also figured out that some coprolite was black with ink, and that was from swallowed belemines. Fossilized species is called coprolite because of the Greek word copros lithos, meaning dung stone. A coprolite size really, really depends on the animals that produce them, but the average sizes for a coprolite are normally just between a few millimeters long to over a foot long, such as an interesting huge coprolite found in Canada, which is 44 centimeters long, 13 centimeters high, and 16 centimeters wide. This coprolite was filled with bone fragments, so we can tell that this is from a massive carnivore based on the size and the bones inside them. In the area in which this was found, the T-Rex was pretty common. At least millions of years ago, their fossils are still kind of rare. But there still are T-Rex fossils around that area, so we can make a pretty good inference that that coprolite was a T-Rex coprolite. If you do want to buy coprolite with bones in it, it'll probably be a bit more expensive than just some regular coprolite. Because if you think about it, you're going to be paying for the regular coprolite, the fossil bone or bones inside the coprolite, and really the uniqueness of the coprolite having the bones in it. So it'll probably be quite a bit more expensive than just a regular piece of coprolite. Now on to our next subject. Technically, you can wear coprolite as jewelry and polish it, but I mean, who really wants a piece of coprolite hanging around your neck? I like fossils, a lot, but I would really never wear a piece of coprolite around my neck. And honestly, when you polish coprolite, it kind of just looks like a weird gemstone. It doesn't even look remotely like an actual fossil. Now on to the overview for coprolite week. On day one, we talked about all different types of data you can discover with coprolite. I talked about data for all types of animals, not just specific animals, and also just general facts about the past. On day two, we discussed some popular animals that produce coprolite. Those animals are turtles, alligators, and dinosaurs. On day three, we continued our discussion on those animals and also talked about the certain data we've discovered about those animals. We also discussed climate and predicting where the coprolite can be from climate. On day four, we talked about coprolites and where they're mined, their prices, and just overall how the public views them. We talked about location and how location is adjacent to other fossil sites. Then today, we went through a general overview of coprolite. And now this. I hope you enjoyed Coprolite Week. Thanks for listening, and next week, I'll talk about pyrite.